0: Hello out there, all you Jazzy Jaguars. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about sustainability, conservation, and nature. I'm one of your hosts, Casey. Those words were out of order, but (laughs) I'm joined here by the fabulous Sarah. Hi, Sarah.
1: Hi. I appreciate that your introduction animal this week had nothing to do with what we're talking about, but the Jazzy adjective was excellent.
0: Why was the first... Uh, adjective that came into my brain was jingoistic and I was like where did that come (laughs) from that's not it's not relevant or positive it's not useful at all but it's a big word (laughs) the SATs would be proud I was gonna
1: say I don't know where that one came from either good good call on changing it up yeah I don't
0: know what recess of the brain that was called up from how are you this week
1: I'm all right. I don't feel like I have anything in particular to say again this week. It's just, you know, keep on keeping on one foot in front of the other type of thing. Nothing crazy going on here. How about your end? It's hot. That's Uh, well, it's hot here too, but
0: this is like the hottest week so far. And today it was like both in the nineties and very humid. And my, uh, my brain got fried pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So hoping for more rain soon.
1: I, while you were talking, I have Two very minor things that I just feel the need to update the people on. One, for some reason, when you talked about it being hot, I just thought weather's outdoor. My beach dune sunflower still thriving. Everybody, I am so proud. It of you. is very large, and there are so many flowers on it, which is lovely. It is kind of encroaching on my walkway now, so mm. I have to determine if. I trim it, is it going to die, or is it okay to sort of prune it back a little bit, or if I can just prop it up somehow? So, decisions to be made, but it is just lovely. And I'm so glad because I do absolutely nothing with it, just literally nothing except smile at it as I pull in and out of the driveway. So, I'll definitely get a second one. Next season, or whenever I get a chance. The second thing is, I have tried some black bean burgers. Remember, we talked about like I tried the impossible burger. Yeah. And it was meh. You're
0: like, oh, eh, that's fine. Yeah. It.
1: yeah I, did, I didn't really care for it. I just tried these spicy black bean burgers from, is it Morningstar? Is
0: that mm-hmm. what the,
1: just so just, you know, not basic, expensive yeah. or anything. I'm in love with them.
0: Excellent.
1: I they are so good. I've had it for dinner two nights in a row now, because they're they're super fast. And and they're spicy black bean burgers. I don't really like spicy things, but it's just the right amount of spice. Excellent. So helping me cut down on my meat consumption there. Not that I ate a lot of hamburger, but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, no, I made um, my veggie burger recipe for my dad's birthday this week. So Yeah, you, you know, still have to give me that. I still do. I still do. I have to post it for the people. Gosh, I'll do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when we're done. Okay. Um, focus, Casey. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I like anything. Morningstar has really good breakfast sausages, too, that taste really good. Like Andrew's made sausage and biscuits, like in gravy with it. And it's delicious but I like any sort of veggie burger that doesn't taste like just a bunch of vegetables mashed Mm -hmm. together. And they do a good job of being like, Ooh, spicy, just enough to jazz it up like a jazzy Jaguar, (laughs) throwing it at your veggie burger there. Tie it in, tie it in. Uh, Great. Sarah, we had homework last week challenge.
1: Yes, we did have a challenge. I'm so I, I guess I have to start off by saying that that no, I didn't complete the challenge, which was to talk with somebody in your world, your community, about, I don't know how you want to phrase it, just what the plan is, like energy consumption, plans towards reducing emissions, that type of thing. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah. Just like, you know, coal's part of our energy source, but we also have to start moving towards a clean future. And we do have a little bit of ways to influence that.
1: Right. So I didn't actually talk to anybody and I still like I'm holding on to this challenge. I do want to do it. I think there is some merit in kind of thinking about the appropriate time and place for these things too. What is interesting is I work for a really large company, so I also have to think about kind of where to look in that. And I kind of want to talk to somebody that's more specific to my work area within Mm -hmm. that company. It's also a little bit preaching to the choir because the team that I work for is very environmentally oriented and I already know some of the things that we do to reduce our emissions. And I already know a lot of what our company's plans are. Um, and in fact, next year, I know we're adding in even more solar into our energy mix with a company as a whole. So that's where I am with that. I did also, this was entirely unplanned and un- unrelated, but I just happened to see today, you mentioned faith groups as well as being one that you could look at and I did see that one kind of group of the Presbyterian Church PC USA has now pledged to divest from fossil fuels, which is a church that I went to back in Indiana was that group so I just thought that was kind of fun that that popped up today.
0: That's awesome. Uh a friend of mine from college actually is part, I think it's Presbyterian church, but she's basically part of a church leadership board and and was helping with the divestment from fossil fuels. So it's in line with a lot of faith traditions mm-hmm. to try and protect our planet, which you've talked about before. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you know, like it's not like Casey told me this week I have to go talk right, about exactly. coal. so <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. I'm, we've talked about this before with all of our challenges. You can keep them in your back pocket and just let us know when you get any of them done. For me, I'm very lucky that my like biggest community I'm part of right now is work, which is a store run by my dad. Right. So I already know some of his plans. He wants us to look at where our numbers are and if we are in a financial position to do it. He wants me to contact a solar company to try and get solar panels installed on the roof.
1: Awesome.
0: So our hope is to transition to an electric fleet, which would both be a really good environmental decision, but also a good business decision. I'm sure anyone who tried to do a big project this year found that the price of gas influence the price of that in a negative way (laughs) and so we've definitely seen that like factored into the cost of every good but because we do services being able to charge at least some of our vehicles eventually off of our grid and knowing the grid was partially funded by solar that would be just a nice little way to help cut costs and to really cut down on our emissions so so that's exciting not something that is happening this week Not something that like was challenging for me because it was already in the works, but definitely something I'm going to be following up on to try and make sure that it's always in the ether of a project that could get done if we're in the right position. Love it. And you read The Hunger Games. so
1: (laughs) (laughs) I reread The Hunger Hunger Games Games. after. The Hunger Games is a weirdly comfort read for me. Okay. Yes. Good. Cause it's not comforting at all. It's a very disturbing plot, but I do, yes. there's something about that. I will just go to when I need a comfort read anyway.
0: Yeah. It doesn't hurt your brain to read. It's like very yeah. It's, it's nice as a like written, it's easy to read. It's, it's, it's junk food for the soul and I love it. Yes. I called my mom because last week you'll remember I had a little crisis of whether or not I had imagined being inside a coal mine. And I didn't imagine it when my mom and I went on a bus trip in Wales during a spring break when I was studying in Ireland. Uh, One of those stops was to a coal mine and we did go into an elevator underground and we went into a shaft where she was like, oh, the thing I remembered from it is that basically the kids were small enough to operate these doors. And then when the doors closed, it was just like the most pitch black Mm. that was possibly out there. And she also remembered the ponies thing. (laughs) So, so um, sad. yeah, I mean, I've talked about it being an American fuel source, but absolutely the UK has very deep roots and historic history going back with coal mines. And so it was a brutal business for a long time. And I don't think that it's become unbrutal in a lot of ways, just by nature of, of the process, but I did not imagine it. I was inside a coal mine.
1: All right. Well, today we're doing maybe like a side quest on our energy series today. We're not going to talk about a specific energy source, but we are going to talk about the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, which has been in the news over the past several weeks. You may have seen about the recent Supreme Court decision related to the EPA, we're not just gonna talk about that decision. We're gonna dive in a little bit to the history of the EPA, but we are gonna talk about that decision too and sort of how we got there and what that means. So Casey, this is not my forte. We've talked about this before. I am not somebody who is politically passionate. I am not somebody who was ever very interested in politics or government social studies was never my favorite subject in school it's it's not my thing so i sort of had to you know as i feel like i always do have to sort of go back to square one when we talk about these things so my question for you today is is related to our government and how our government is sort of set up here in the united states so if you had to pick Casey, we have our three branches of of government. Would you rather be president of the United States, a member of Congress, or a Supreme Court justice?
0: I mean, the real answer is at this point in my life, I have such little desire to be any of these things.
1: That's a fair, that would be my answer as
0: well, (laughs) but we're having to pick. We're having to pick the reason I, I, this doesn't interest me right now. Like I had a former classmate who actually ran for Congress this last cycle in the primary. She didn't win, but. It is brutal, especially Mm -hmm. if you're a woman, to run for these sort of offices. We've never had a lady president before. So like literally if it were president, be the first one. But I decided thinking on this more than anything else about this episode (laughs) this week was that I would like to be president. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not
1: really surprised by that. I sounded surprised. I sort of wondered if that's where you were going to go.
0: I think it would be also the worst one of those jobs. I genuinely think that it's a terrible, terrible mm-hmm. job. Um, but you mentioned side quest. Anytime one of my friends is like, you'd really like D and D. Cause I'm a nerd too. I don't like games where I have to wait for other people to make decisions. And that seems to be the whole job of Congress is trying to read everybody's mind and make collective group decisions together. And that's very frustrating to me. And I follow a couple of Congress members who are just like, this is what we did this week, but also. <laughs> We didn't do a lot of anything because we don't have the votes. A very important job. Great thing. But like, I would get very frustrated. very you quickly. just made Hamilton get stuck in my head now too. <laughs> so thanks for that. You're welcome. Supreme court justice, a little bit the same thing. Like I'm a little annoyed this, you know, last month at the Supreme court for several decisions that they have made. And so like, you can be someone who agrees completely with whatever my philosophy is, but if you don't have the votes then don't have the votes. But if you're president, you get to select who you nominate for the Supreme Court, number one. So going around that a little bit. But two, I think also the, the president gets to set the tone for a lot of these things and gets to be select what they're passionate about and try and advocate for those causes and has a lot more tools at their disposal to be able to either allocate funds or do executive actions. And yes, there are limitations to lots of these things, but I think that luckily you can't be president for very long. So it wouldn't be like, Oh, I gotta go run for my eighth term as president to get my stuff done. Like you can only do it for eight years, but you can get a lot done. And so even though it'd be horrible, Sarah's like, not sure about that, even though it'd be horrible. And I agree. Like you get stymied in a lot of ways. And maybe it's just, I would want to be a one-term president who didn't care about reelection <laughs> to just like do the things instead of waiting for the political expediency, just like try and do the things without the fear of not getting elected. This is why I'm not running for uh, president guys. Cause that, that might not go over with lots of your political colleagues, but I just think that, that really when I was thinking about this, I was like, can I be governor? Because I actually think governor would be a way better job than any of these jobs. That's what I'm landing on. Governor. Yeah,
1: I would much rather be a state official than a federal official. But I, So I would choose Congress. Okay. I would be a member of Congress. I agree with some of the things you said. I so to In my mind, being president is what I equate to being a hockey goalie in that you get <laughs> too much of the blame when sure. things don't go well and not enough of the credit when things do go well is sort of how I feel about the sort of public reaction towards president. I also feel like people think the president has more power than the president actually does. And so much of what you can do, I think, is dependent on the people around you, too. I would not want to be a Supreme Court. I wouldn't want to be a judge of any kind, let alone a Supreme Court justice. There is too much pressure. And I mean, you can agree, disagree with these decisions. I do not want to be a judge of anything. If there's anything that you people who know me listening know, like I do not want to be the deciding (laughs) factor. Like I have things that I believe in very strongly, but I do not If somebody gives me their opinion, I will do my very best to see that side of that. And I will start to sort of understand that side of that opinion. I don't think that I could sit and make a decision that I would feel comfortable with as a a justice. I just think it it would be a very weighty job. Plus, just trying to read through some of these decisions and the, the minutiae of the things that they look at is very frustrating to me. And I think that can lead to them making decisions that I don't like too, because I'm like, look at, they're basically just nitpicking on these things now. So I don't, I don't want anything to do with any of that. So I feel like I'm left with Congress by default, but I do think that, that maybe I, it's where I would feel the best at because yes, it's frustrating because Like you say, if you don't have the votes, there's not much that you can do. But I think that's maybe where I would do the best. Is that trying to bring people together for a cause that I feel strongly about so that we end up with the votes?
0: Yeah, I mean, like you're a good listener and you're an empathetic person. And that's really important in Congress, especially for your constituents and trying to get those members together. Yeah, I guess I am an impatient person. And so I'd be like, get them executive orders on my desk day one. <laughs> We're signing a bunch. Well, I
1: think you're just more confident too, and just more. I don't know. I think that our choices make sense yes. for who we are.
0: Is this like a Gryffindor, <laughs> Hufflepuff, maybe thing? I think it is.
1: <laughs> but on I do that think that note, right? Mind. I do think
0: governors. I mean, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit during this. Is like your state guidelines are a lot easier to implement. Because there's they're narrower, they're less bound by some of these national politics. And that's why I think that they've been talking about for a lot of the decisions that have just been made that the governors really are the ones who at the end of the day are gonna make the big difference. Yeah. On things like climate change. So that's what maybe where I steer more of all of those seem like bad jobs, but people have to do them and should do them.
1: I feel sick to my stomach. <laughs> yes.
0: Discussing Imagining. theoretically
1: <laughs> which position
0: <laughs> you forgot this question.
1: I know I did. It is not for me. I I could not go into political office. So on that note, uh, we are going to sort of talk about how how these things play together. In particular, we're going to be talking about Congress and how they impact the Environmental Protection Agency, and again, what these Supreme Court decisions mean. Right. Hopefully. We'll see how it goes. Stick around for that discussion. (laughs) All right. Welcome, everyone, to our discussion on the Environmental Protection Agency, what it is what it does, why it's been in the news lately, and where we go from here. So the the decision that we're talking about that has made headlines was the, the Supreme Court decision on what was called West Virginia versus the EPA. And if you have seen headlines on this decision, you know that this felt like a pretty big blow to folks who are passionate about the environment and climate change, and it seems like it could be hugely detrimental to efforts to curb our greenhouse gas emissions and mitigate the impact that climate change is going to have. This was a thing I didn't really know was happening until it happened. This sort of the decision came out, and so I didn't really know anything about it. And so I wanted to take a, a closer look at this decision, but again, like I was saying, this is not my area of expertise so I wanted to take a little closer look at the EPA as a whole how the organization works within our governmental structure to kind of understand everything surrounding how we got there. So, let's go back real quick. We've talked about this on the podcast before. The the origins of the EPA, Casey, who started the EPA?
0: Well, the president who signed it into law yes. was confusingly Richard Nixon. in 1970. This is what I remember from environmental law and politics in the ethics class that I took. This is like, I'm reaching way back into like college.
1: But yes, hopefully it's still somewhere in your brain. You're probably going to have to help me out with with some of these things. You probably still know more about it than I do. But yes, Richard Nixon was the president. As we just talked about it, this was not a unilateral thing, but he did kind of push for it not because he was necessarily known as someone who was particularly conservation-oriented, although apparently I was reading he did have sort of a fondness for the national parks in particular, but but he recognized the public demand for it at the time. There was just this growing environmental movement, and he's like, all right, we got to harness this somehow and uh, get behind it. And so, yes, he ended up creating the EPA in 1970. On the EPA's website, you can actually read his message to Congress. I actually enjoyed reading it. So I'll link to it in the show notes if it is something that you want to read. But one of the things that he said in that statement was that the government's environmentally related activities have grown up piecemeal over the years. The time has come to organize them rationally and systematically. So that was kind of the, the sort of thought process for creating the Environmental Protection Agency and why we needed something like that. And he talks about it, the, the policies or activities kind of growing up piecemeal. This is including an environmental committee that they had just created, I think, in 1969 uh, that then just kidding, we're going to create this other thing instead uh, to kind of oversee these environmental things.
0: I was going to say, it, this was also during a time, so there was a lot of things going on environmentally. This happened in concert with a lot of other environmental protection acts, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a moment. But Nixon had also some like things that weren't very popular going on in his mm-hmm. administration. And so this was a really good way to appease people to, yes. to it was like a, a good PR move for him and honestly politicians still do this all the time if you ever see your like state legislature p- passing the like protect puppies act like <laughs> no one wants to be on the wrong side of a protect puppies act they're like we love kittens that sort of thing um it's always a good way for you for them to boost their image. So a lot of times environmental or animal protection things kind of come with that spin on it. But it it this one was really politically relevant at the time for the general public.
1: Yeah. And I mean I, I think it's a good thing. And I, I think all of this kind of ties into something that we've talked about over and over again on the podcast too is that it does matter to tell politicians what you mm-hmm. want. Again, this was nobody's platform in 1970, you know, nobody And I don't think that one party should ever be more or less associated with the environment. We've talked about that, too. But certainly nobody was at the time. Uh, So this, this was just him and all of the people around him hearing this is what the people want. So no matter what, no matter if you associate yourself with the party or not, tell your political leaders, state, federal, whatever, tell them what you want that's going to be a recurring thing theme for us tonight as well is if this is important to you you need to tell the people who are in charge that this is important to you so so yes yeah, the 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 EPA was put into place they gave it control over Functions of already existing governmental organizations. So things that were kind of related to the environment that had previously been overseen by other organizations were kind of moved over to the EPA's role. This message to Congress that I'll link to also included He sort of listed the the principal functions of the EPA, number one, to establish and enforce environmental protection standards that are consistent with our national environmental goals. So lots of things can be found within that message. And here's kind of the, the first important piece, I think, to know and understand is although this agency was created with those goals in mind and given this function of largely protecting the environment, it is, it is a regulatory agency and it gets its powers, if you want to call it that, from Congress. So the EPA is not creating laws. The EPA is creating regulations based on laws that are created by Congress. So, we talk about all of those things that were going on in the early 70s. The big things for Congress or for the EPA early on the Clean Air Act, which was created in 1970, the Clean Water Act of 1972. These are things that were passed by Congress. Think about the Endangered Species Act, those types of things. There's also a whole list of laws and executive orders that are related to the environment that you can find on the EPA's website as well. But so these are the things that they are given that they are tasked with now administering. So they look at, okay, what does the Clean Air Act say? What does the Clean Water Act say? How do I now carry out these goals? And then they put out those regulations. So a few weeks back, we talked about the good neighbor plan. Do you remember that, Casey?
0: E- vaguely. They, yes. I mean, this was after
1: your yeah, no, this was it was related to air pollution. So you had mm-hmm. done your your the air pollution episode, and then it was just sort of happenstance that I found that the EPA was sharing this good neighbor plan that which was to help reduce emissions basically in states that were downwind from states that were not doing a good enough job regulating their emissions. And so these other states were kind of paying the price, quote unquote, for it, if you will. So that's what that plan was sort of looking at. They were in the phase of regulation. It's quite a process where they've looked at, okay, under the Clean Air Act, it says X, Y, Z. We are going to, make X, Y, Z happen by doing this and this and this, and they can put out these different regulations. So this good neighbor act was to help kind of carry out the obligations of the clean air act. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I think maybe to give a more specific, maybe X, Y, Z elements to it. If for example, a, a law said that we were going to regulate things that harm human health in the air. And then that was the law. The EPA would then make a law saying like knowing that mercury emissions or particulate matter, these specific elements impact the human health aspect under that law. They're given that authority. And I think we'll go into show later that if they're not specific in the law, that those things might later be able to be challenged.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of fast forwarding to the end. Yeah. Yeah. So they would create, no, that's fine. But they would create, yes, a regulation pertaining to that. So one of the the functions of the EPA would be to research those things. Okay. So we need to control harmful things that are in the air, what things are causing harm in our air. So they're going to do research to say, here's a list of things that we need to regulate in the air. And then they're going to kind of look at how to best go about doing that. And so then they will come up with these regulations. They will put out the regulations for a period of time. So they will, they will research, they will write, they will put them out there. They will take comment on them, which that's where we were when we shared this Good Neighbor Act. They will take those comments, they will review, they will research again. And then if it all goes through, they will codify these regulations. You can find of these regulations on the internet and it almost made my head explode because it is just it's there's so much but you can find the code of federal regulations and this is for all federal regulatory agencies there's so much just another thing that makes me not want to go into office but so title 40 within this federal code of federal regulations are the ones that are specific to the environment and the epa just in case you want to look it up for yourself we'll have a link to it Um, and then the epa also deals with the enforcement of said regulations that was one of their principal functions that is not something that i've thought about too often but that might be anything from a fine to a criminal case if they feel that somebody was actively knowingly disregarding a a regulation of some kind. Fun aside that we probably don't really have any time for, but I'm going to share it anyway because it made me smile. Casey, while I was researching this podcast for for this episode, I had Ghostbusters on in the background. Have you seen Ghostbusters? Yes. Yes. I've watched it several times, but maybe, I guess, just not paid attention in a long time. Did you remember that kind of the secondary bad guy in that movie is the EPA?
0: It's been a long time. I I guess not.
1: I I was like, I just kind of heard it in the background where he was like, I I already forget the guy's name, but he was like, yeah, I'm from the the EPA 3rd District or something like that. And he, because he thinks that they're... Like using harmful chemicals sure, or something yeah. like that. And he makes them shut down their ghost containment thing. <laughs> like, that's how the ghosts, like, I had totally forgotten that this was the EPA. And then that took me to an actual website that exists that is called lawandthemultiverse.com, where actual lawyers look at things that happen in movies and TV shows and determine their accuracy. And it was, excellent. I
0: enjoyed I it. Love so much. I love nerds. I love it. That's so accessible for people to be like, what, what did, what does that mean? And then yeah. connected to something they actually care exactly. about. Oh, man. For the record, nothing about the process
1: with the, anything was correct, but they were like, we forgive them for not wanting to like <laughs> wait into break it down. Uh, you know all the, the waiting around and the you know assessments and all of that but they said the EPA was probably the right agency to, to yes. go with so so there you go the EPA enforces <laughs> regulations related to the environment as well. back to real cases though not related to supernatural activity uh, the EPA does get questioned. A lot. So again, even though we have here is this organization that is tasked with caring for the environment based on these laws set forth by Congress, there are still a lot of questions that arise about how much the EPA can do, how it can do it in certain situations. One of the articles that I used for for research from the Atlantic Magazine, there were a couple articles from the Atlantic that I really liked. Uh, This is from Ann Carlson, a professor of environmental law at the University of California in Los Angeles says the EPA gets challenged a ton, but they win most of the time because they are so sort of careful and thoughtful uh, about doing their research beforehand, doing this, having this process that they go through of putting these regulations out and taking comments and and all of that. So there are a lot of things that happen, I think, where the EPA gets challenged doesn't usually go up to the Supreme Court. <laughs> it's a, a very right. rare case, but in a lot of these lower courts where they get challenged and, and apparently, according to this person, uh, win most of the time. But we want to talk about, before I jump to the most recent case, there is another su- case where they were challenged and it went to the Supreme Court that I think is relevant to talk about with the, the more recent Case. So back in 2003, the EPA actually declined a petition from multiple states and other organizations to regulate carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases from vehicles, saying that they did not feel under the Clean Air Act that they had the authority to do so from Congress. And they said Congress must provide us with clear legal authority before we can take regulatory action to address a fundamental issue such as climate change. So he's saying that we can't use the Clean Air Act to do this because this isn't the purpose that it was intended for. Of course, it wasn't back in 1970. That's not something that, although scientists maybe were thinking about it, that's not something that was high in the, the public consciousness. So this case got moved through courts system. It was seen by the sub- Supreme Court in 2006. It was known as Massachusetts versus the EPA. This is just because the the petitioners were represented by, I don't know if Milky is the way to say his last name. Looks like it. James, M-I-L-K-E-Y, who was then from the Massachusetts Attorney General's office. Interestingly, he's a judge now, according to the internet. And in a 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court agreed with the petitioners saying that the EPA did actually have the authority to regulate greenhouse gases as air pollution so that's going to be very relevant to what we talk about
0: yeah i want to pause here and talk about all the stakeholders that are around mm-hmm. what we're talking about so we have the EPA at the center the EPA being legally imbued with authority from congress but also is responsive to both citizens, nonprofit groups, agencies, corporations who petition the EPA to either review particular substances or look at different regulations. So they are often then also responding in that way to try and figure out, have we not evaluated every sort of concern under what we're able to do? The EPA is then able to say like, yes, maybe this falls under something that's harmful to human health under this statute, or maybe this right. falls under um, this particular point source. First, like, you know, when we're talking about power plants versus motor vehicles, those are different types of sources. So they have yes. to figure out what's going to happen. And even when they make the rule, even if they've decided, yes, Congress has legally allowed us to do this, or yes, we've taken this petition and we've decided it does. Fun- fall under what we need. They can then be challenged for that regulation in court Mm -hmm. by anyone impacted by the rule to to then evaluate whether or not it truly is legally. So there's a lot of things going on where it's not this like rogue agency that responds to no one. There's very much a lot of input going on back and forth.
1: Correct. And it is very confusing to follow these things through. So, I mean, even just within that, I mentioned that this initial petition happened in 2003 and then all of a sudden we're festering three years ahead right. to this actually getting seen through the Supreme court. And so there's a lot of back and forth and, and even trying to figure out who's on what side when looking at all of these different st- stakeholders,
0: well, that's the other element too, is that, well, like one of the things my, when I was trying to figure out what I want to do in my life, mom's like, don't you want to work for the EPA? Because that seems to be like the top of environmental, whatever, like how higher, much higher can you aspire to be than the environmental protection agency, but it's also a political organization because the head of the EPA is appointed by the president, right? Sure. Yeah. So their priorities change depending on the administration. Oh, the
1: administration. Yeah, I didn't even mean it like that though. Sorry, that was a yeah. poor Oh no, importance. go for it. Bye-bye. No, I just I just meant like trying to follow a case oh, sure. just some of the terminology of how I'm I'm trying to figure out what the decision is actually saying and who they're saying is right and not right and who they're asking to do what. Even just following one case through because of all of the back and forth can get very confusing. But so that's all I meant by side. But yes, your point is very true as well, that the EPA's sort of goals and priorities and what the EPA is doing can change based on administration as well. So things that The head of the EPA might have been saying in 2003 might be different than, you know, somebody, the head of the EPA five years later or whatever, depending on the administration, which is a difficult thing about our political system.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes it's caricatured as this rogue independent agency who's like advocating for the rights of snails over like, (laughs) you know, what the actual interest of America is, but very much it is constrained by so many of these things. So even if they think, for example, if someone working at the EPA is like, absolutely, we should be regulating carbon dioxide, but they don't have the legal authority, it's not just because that person decided on their own that that's what they're going to do. They really do have to look at what they're imbued with.
1: Yeah. And so that, that the thing about this case of the, the Massachusetts versus the EPA is the, the specific question being asked in this case was not our greenhouse gases, do, do they count as air pollution? They were, but, but that was very relevant to deciding the case. Like in order to determine if the EPA should be regulating emissions for motor vehicles, they needed to determine first, right. do greenhouse gases count as air pollution is basically what they were talking about. And they, so they determined that Yes, they are. And yes, the EPA could, in fact, regulate these gases. And so that had very real consequences moving forward with everything, with regulations that EPA has put into place since then and getting into this most recent case, West Virginia versus the EPA. And this got so much more confusing for me as I started to look into it. So hopefully I can hang on to to the thread here in case you follow through it with me here as well. But this really first centered around something called the Clean Power Plan, which was under President Obama's administration. So this was put forth by the EPA in 2015. And it was directing states to curb emissions through what they were calling basically a series of building blocks, ultimately resulting in a decrease in coal power. And they were calling for an increase in natural gas and other renewable sources of power in order to meet these emissions requirements. And so again, the EPA needs to have justification to do this. So they were citing a specific section of the Clean Air Act in order to justify this rule. Okay, so that was the plan in 2015. The Clean Power Plan was never put into place, actually. So it was stayed, I think, I'm already forgetting the, the appropriate terminology to use, but it was, it was actually never enacted. It was challenged. It was never actually set forth. The EPA administration change repealed that plan that had never actually been put into place in 2019 and replaced it with a much less aggressive, affordable, clean energy rule. So the amount of emission percent of admission, emission reduction that this affordable clean energy rule was targeting was much, much less than the clean power plan. This was then challenged by organizations, including the American Lung Organization, saying this is not, <laughs> this, this isn't good enough, basically. Right. I and so the the DC circuit court agreed with that and my understanding is basically that court decision of them agreeing with these challengers of the affordable clean energy rule basically repealed that and sort of by default would have allowed that clean power plan to go back into play however the government was like no we're not we're not doing it we're going to move on we're going to figure something else Out, So even though there was no move made to start the Clean Power Plan up again. Also, fun fact, the emissions reduction that was targeted by the Clean Power Plan, we'd already reached it just by other methods and coal dropping and some of those things that we've been talking about in our energy series anyway. We'd already met that reduction. But despite all of that, 20 states, including West Virginia, challenged the decision saying basically that this would have given the the ability to put this clean power plan into place would have given the EPA too much power that they felt that they didn't actually have from Congress. Are we there? Do we understand sort of the history of this case? It's like multiple challenges and reversals. So
0: my understanding from basically the end of this is that the point of these 20 states challenging this last reversal <laughs> is not that they at that point could do anything about what actually the Clean Power Plan was looking to achieve. It wasn't like the ends of it. We don't want to reduce emissions Correct. because those things had already happened. It was more of a challenging the scope that the EPA exactly. had enforcement over. Yes. So it wasn't like... I don't know. And that way it felt like a little petty because it's like that's already over. But it's really like a rule with intention. Yes, like
1: Exactly. Because yeah. that was some of the argument of the folks who disagreed with the, the, the court opinion, the, the decision that the Supreme Court made, the folks who disagreed. That was part of it like this where there's no standing here, basically, because. nobody's doing the clean power plan anymore. So that was one argument that was tried to be made, but it was still the precedent basically just saying that, okay, well just because you're not doing this, you think you can do this. So there's nothing stopping you from trying to do it again, basically. So we do still need to look at this.
0: Yeah. Putting on my like little lawyer hat, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Like just standing is basically, you have to prove that you are impacted by the, like an yes. alien couldn't come down from earth and be yes. like, Haha, I object to everything. Right. Like, you have to have some they, sort they of have no reasoning stake in the matter. Yeah. Right.
1: So they would have no standing. Yes. I had to look up a lot. Of sure. of Yes. So, and one thing I'll say right here is and this is, and I'm ashamed to admit that I didn't do this because I really wanted to, to do this for the podcast, but I will say, I have not read the entire opinion. That is what they call the Supreme court decisions is the court's opinion. Uh, I have not read the entire opinion. You can read the entire opinion. And I, I hope to, I would like to still read the entire opinion. So basically it'll give a summary of the overall main decision And then you'll have the specific opinions of individual justices that both agree with the decision. And then you'll have some dissenting opinions as well. So this was a 6-3 decision. So you can read some of the specific opinions of of the folks who agreed, and then you can read the dissents as well to see uh, why they didn't agree. It's a lot. (laughs) Have you read it, Casey?
0: So I haven't read it. And one is genuinely because it's intimidating. Like a lot of times these Supreme Court opinions have like 13 pages of footnotes that Mm -hmm. reference other cases. Yes, And so that's sort of the second half is that I don't feel like by reading the entire thing by myself, I would have the context and understanding to be able to then to say, I get it. Like I would then have to read several other pieces by people who understand actually what's going on about what the implications are so that's mostly what i've been doing
1: yeah so i yeah so that's kind of where i dove into i i would like to eventually read the whole opinion but there is yeah there's a lot of references in there that would be tough i do have part of the court's opinion here and i think it talks a little bit about some other concepts that we can understand they said in devising emission limits for power plants, EPA first determines the best system of emission reduction. They then refer to this as B-S-E-R, best system of emission reduction, taking into account cost, health, and other factors that that it finds have, have been adequately demonstrated. So what resources do we currently really have to put into place this is the the best system of emissions reductions. The agency then quantifies the degree of emission limitation achievable based on this best system of reductions if this were applied to the covered source. So the BSER therefore is the central determination that the EPA must make in formulating its emission guidelines. Under this section of the Clean Air Act, the issue here is whether restructuring the nation's overall mix of electricity generation to transition from 38% coal to 27% coal by 2030 can be the best system of emission reduction within the meaning of this section 111 of the Clean Air Act. So that's what they say they're looking at is does a transferring of energy type changing the grid basically is that can that qualify as a best system of emission reduction and basically what the court said was no that that doesn't count that changing the composition of the grid it goes beyond the power of what the epa was given. So basically, what they're saying is, no, you can look at a coal power plant and say, okay, what technologies do we have available to us to have this coal power plant reduce its emissions? And how much can we expect them to reduce emissions based on what we have available? But we cannot say this plant needs to shut down for this in favor of this solar plant and then we can get emissions down that to my non lawyer understanding is basically what the decision was
0: so this makes me annoyed and if you guys haven't listened to the last podcast episode about coal you should do that because this is why why it makes me annoyed you just talked about Sarah that like basically it allows them to apply technology to the point source of the actual like power plant for example and use technologies to reduce emissions from those power plants however we just discussed in the last episode that the technology even with technology applied to coal plants is nowhere near as effective as switching over to renewable resources so if i understand like basically the what they're arguing here is this is way too vague and everybody gets to have their own opinion and so anytime that someone a aggr- disagrees with the opinion it could just be over overturned because it would be more expensive to switch over to coal, uh, from coal but also that's the way you hit a lot of these targets in the future is to move away from our current grid composition not to try and make coal anywhere close to what it what the renewables are hitting uh, are you feeling similarly
1: well, so yes and no. And this again is why I would not yeah. want to be a justice, but so yeah. And I think what you, what you said is the frustration that a lot of folks who are passionate about the environment feel. So yes, I feel that same frustration because in my mind, I'm like, I know it would certainly be better for us to just switch the grid over. So it is very frustrating for me in that sense. In the other sense, you know, I'm glad that we have checks and balances in place, I guess. And so I see the need for discussions on things. I disagree with the decision, but it is what it is. So that's kind of where I needed to see, like, where do we go from here and what does this really mean? So I really liked another article from The Atlantic that had an interview with a gentleman by the name of Michael Wara, Wara, I don't know, again, W-A-R-A, who it, they called him a scholar of climate and energy policy at uh, the Stanford Door School of Sustainability. And at first I was like, does that just mean he's a student?
0: Yeah, it doesn't.
1: He has multiple degrees. He is a lawyer. He does all kinds of school, cool stuff. I looked him up. It, it was a really helpful interview for me because I don't think it sugarcoated it. It talks, about you know why this makes things a lot harder, but it also felt like he was like, no, there's, there's still ways forward here. So again, this ruling does not prevent the, the APA, EPA from regulating greenhouse gases from existing facilities. In fact, this that is something that we know the, the EPA should do. It basically does prevent them from telling one type of plant to shut down, but not another. So they can't mandate changing the grid over, or set emissions limits based on changing the grid over. They can set emission levels for new plants, new power plants. They can't completely set emissions levels. This is, uh, I wish that I'd put more on here, but there are some more
0: grandfathering
1: guidelines in. around yeah. already existing plants. So there's some more Things that they have to follow there. Um, So basically, this decision limits the tools that the EPA has at its disposal. One of the things that folks, some folks are kind of concerned about too, is how this might affect regulatory agencies in the future. They have, you may have heard the phrase, the major questions doctrine called up a lot in relation to this decision. And that was something that I had to look up and try to read a lot about to, to understand. But basically what this is, is it's just a legal point of view, uh, if you will, uh, that there has to be a clear statement. Um, so the the EPA or whatever agency we're talking about has to have a very clear statement of congressional intent before they are given
0: a certain power.
1: So it's just, I think it just maybe leaves less wiggle room.
0: Yeah. I mean, the big questions that the Supreme Court often addresses are are issues of constitutionality. And so it makes sense that they don't necessarily want to let agencies decide how much the law allows them to. It, it does put the onus on Congress to be more specific about how the laws are written. But the challenge with things related to the environment is the more specific you go, the more you go back to what Nixon was talking about, each of those regulations right. being piecemeal. And, and things so,
1: change. Like we learn change. more things and things change. And so we do want there to be some openness and flexibility. And that's what the decision was with the greenhouse gases in mm-hmm. the, the Massachusetts versus the EPA too. So it's interesting and it's hard and it's challenging. And so, yeah, as, like I said, as somebody who cares about the environment and wants to mitigate the effect of climate change in the best way possible, it's frustrating. And I'm sad uh, about the decision, and, but I don't want to give up, you know, I'm not going to give up on things right. completely or say that uh, I need to overthrow the system here. I But I, so I want to know what, we can do within the system moving forward so knowing what we know now regarding the the decision and how the upa works and and all of that folks are saying it's more important than ever to tell your congressmen and women what you want them to do you know so we're gonna have to go through congress this this q a article that i'll link to too it talks a little bit about how the the decisions now they might just be more expensive that this decision sort of took away almost the ability for the market to sort of work itself out and now these regulatory measures that we might have to take going sort of by individual plant is going to be a more effective way to do it uh, but it was also interesting because he he was talking a little bit about how it, it it almost seemed to think seem in some of the questions he was talking a little bit about how it's going to happen anyway so you mentioned carbon capture last week. And he was talking about how, you know, that's probably something that's going to be required in the future. And that's coal plants aren't going to, they're going to go under because of that basically. And so he sort of was seemed to talk like he thinks these things are like, we are still going to move forward. So I enjoyed the article. So I'll, I'll definitely link to that one, but yeah, my brain hurts a little bit, Casey. <laughs> I
0: don't blame you. Anything time you get into law, like that was my experience taking an environmental law and policy class is a little bit like you're, I just remember my notes from that was just like writing the entire class and you're like shaking your hand out because you're just trying to get all the details of all of these things. I think my challenge is you are talking about earlier about how it is good that we have checks and balances. And I agree with that. I think, unfortunately, with this recent spate of court cases, I think that it's been harder to feel like there are enough checks and balances on the court itself where they, because they are appointed for life. Mm -hmm. They don't have an, an ethics board. For example, Congress has an ethics board. There's impeachment processes for the president that we enact. And if someone on the Supreme court has an ideology that not just an ideology, but also like a vested money interest in some of these things, and they don't choose to recuse themselves, then you start to have people who maybe are putting their their hands on the scale of justice in ways that feel like they aren't as like fair arbitrators of the, the scales of justice. It feels like there may be more at play during that. And that's how I feel about certain things happening right now with the Supreme court and the challenges that we have there is the Supreme court works as long as people have faith in how it works. And the, the, if we feel like it's compromised, then maybe we start to feel like the system of checks and balances isn't working the way it was supposed to.
1: I mean, I would say that that is true
0: though, across the board
1: of the government. And I think that I do
0: too. I just think that we conceptualize the Supreme court as being outside of that realm. Yes. Right, like they almost feel like
1: perhaps that's true, and yeah, and and we definitely shouldn't. And it is important to know, and it's it is very frustrating for me, and the the just sort of where our government at is very frustrating for me right now in general, but I don't even know how to, to say it exactly, but yeah, we do have judges that are appointed by political parties, and so even though they are supposed to be you know making these decisions based on the law they have they're biased they have viewpoints right. they have ways of. they are hu- yes we, we are, are we all are and i think some of what you were saying certainly goes beyond bias so yes there right. need to be checks and on things like that but uh no matter what there's always going to be the bias to and different ways uh, looking at the world and that by its very nature can be really frustrating so
0: yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I, I wish- also, sorry, I also appreciate that like their job is to sort of look at what's going on in the future. So like, for example, when like Amazon's Alexa came out and everyone's like, it's fine. It's just, list-, you know, it's just there to do your grocery list or ask Google a question or whatever. But then you have to think about like, oh my gosh, there's a listening device. What's What's all the future consequences mm-hmm. down the road. And that's the job every time that they make one of these decisions. And that's why they're right. so long is they have to narrowly yeah. decide on each of these things, how it applies here, but also how it could be applied anywhere else in the way that they're right. interpreting it. So it is, yeah, that's why they're like thousands of pages long. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard. I wish that I, I felt more hopeful at the end of this than I do right now. I sort of just feel tired and uncertain about things again, but I, and I know we, we need to wrap it up, but there are still paths forward for sure. You read through some of the decisions, read, you know, read the, the ones who agreed with the majority opinion and read some of the dissents too. And you may find that there are things in both parts, you know, like pieces of both things that folks have said that you agree with. And if you stick around, we will come back. I'll give you a couple of challenges for the week and we'll wrap up with any closing thoughts. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. I- hope you got something out of that i learned a lot this week i feel like i didn't put it out there in in the way that i would have liked to but because i feel like there's just so much there's there's almost the intellectual layer of it there's the emotional layer of it and we're trying to keep our episodes around an hour <laughs> so there's just only so much that I we I don't think you're about.
0: giving yourself enough credit here i actually i felt like it was way more clear than than what you're thinking so. it is and also i would say that i did not come away from this like i have a general sense of dread which is like normal for me we've talked about this mm-hmm. i have a normal sense of dread i haven't a a general sense of dread about Supreme court cases moving forward. This particular one is not as disabling to the EPA as perhaps headlines may have made you think for particularly climate change related things. This is not anywhere near the end of the world. It is perhaps concerning because like you said, they're doing it based on a, like this, Do these people even have standing on this law that like didn't even happen, but we have we have lots of regulatory levers going on still outside of this particular one. So once I learned more about what was happening, I was not defeated for this particular rule. And I think you've explained how this works pretty, pretty well.
1: And I should. Yes. So my sort of feeling of of not feeling as like optimistic right now is actually more related to state of our government. And I don't even mean just the, the Supreme Court. I just mean all like, yeah, I just feel very, It just feels very overwhelming to me right now. Uh, so, so that's all that's, that's all what I mean there, but I agree with you about this particular decision. And that is one of the challenges related to one of the challenges that I have for you, because you just mentioned that you don't feel like this was as horrible as some of the headlines made it out to be that's just a news thing in general. Like they want you to catch your attention. But I think part of what can help in all of this and maybe part of what can help eventually with our our government, our system of government, kind of where we're at right now too, is trying to look at things from a variety of viewpoints. You may have a place where you get your news from (laughs) I don't really follow the news that much except what, you know, just pops up uh, that the internet feels like I, I want to look at. But when I do dive into a particular topic, I look at it from multiple sources. And, you know, that includes maybe things that you wouldn't normally look at. There is an organization. I thought it was called All Sides now, but they just call it All Sides. So allsides.com is a place that you can go to. You can follow them on social media as well. They're going to show you headlines from news organizations that are sort of aligned center, aligned more to the right, aligned more to the left. I think that's important just for kind of context to see what kind of language and what kinds of things different news outlets are focusing on. Um, And I think it can help to try to look at things from another perspective. That doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but I think it can is helpful for all of us to sort of break out of our boxes a little bit and try to understand where other people are at. There's a difference between being biased and being untruthful. And so you can kind of check those facts as well. Um, so that's just one outlet that you might look at. So, and just, so just something to be thoughtful of moving forward as you're reading news, whether it's environmentally related or or what to, to kind of look at what the, uh, what the sources are that you're looking from. Also, this isn't on here, but I've talked about her on the the podcast before. I think there is a lady on Instagram. Sharon says so is her Instagram handle. I mention it because she talks a lot about government. She was a government teacher and studied studied that sort of thing. She, She talks about these Supreme Court decisions and she presents really factual information. That is really nice. And this is kind of a thing that she stresses as well, is kind of looking at things from all sides to to help have better discussions basically. So you can follow her as well, I'll give her a plug. So that's one, and then the other one is what we mentioned a couple of times throughout the episode. Part of the way forward now, we understand that the EPA gets its marching orders from Congress, let's tell Congress that cutting emissions is important to us. So look up your representatives if you don't already know, reach out to them. I mean, you don't even have to reach out over a specific You know, usually we think about doing this if there's a bill in play that we're interested in, but you can just reach out to them and say, hey, I know this decision happened in the Supreme Court, I just want to say I think it's really important for us moving forward to find ways to switch our energy grid over whatever the case may be. So I think it's important for all of us to do.
0: Yeah. And for folks listening in PA, we got a big old election coming up pretty soon here. So no matter who you're voting for, you better tell those candidates what you believe in yeah. and what it's going to take to get your vote because, uh, cause it's going to be a big deal yeah, here and, and nationally. Yeah.
1: Look at the primaries that are coming up to wherever you're at. Florida is one of those frustrating states that you have to be registered with the party to vote in the primaries, and I am not. So yeah. I don't get to vote in the primaries, but I think it's still important to look yeah. at and research and know what's going on. Oh, Casey, I'm exhausted. Anything else before, <laughs> we, before we
0: wrap up? No, we can go. We can go. Okay.
1: Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Again, if you have questions, if this confused the heck out of you, uh if you want to share thoughts, if you want to share suggestions for future episode ideas, if you want to tell us about challenges that you've been completing from past episodes, whatever, there's lots of places that you can find us. We are on Facebook. It's a little greener podcast. We're on Instagram at a little greener pod. We are on Twitter at a greener podcast. And you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. Go talk to your Congress people. Tell them what's up. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.